Wow, hello, Internet. Mike Erie here. Uh, I've just won the Powerball jackpot. <laughs> so this is the last podcast I will ever do, ever. No, not really. We can do um, a podcast on on if you won the lottery. Right. A, a weekly podcast of, of the decline of your life. Seriously. <laughs> and 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 then hit you up for donations. Um so so El Nino came and, and went. It's sunny. It's nice today. Uh, we're recording on a Friday and uh, Powerball came and went with no tangible impact on the Erie House, but I guess you have to play first in order to win it. I just thought, you know, maybe they'd split it between all Americans. Um, Republican presidential debate, I found out, happened last night. Had no idea. Uh, so sorry I missed it. Not at all. Uh, because we are talking about Jesus and politics. And uh, last one, Andy had specific instructions to disagree, which he did very poorly. And, um, and I'm convinced because he's an intelligent man that the material here is so compelling that nobody, uh, of, of good and sound mind could possibly disagree, right? That's the only conclusion we can, we can come to. Correct, Andy? I disagree. Okay. See, I just wanted to see. I'm learning. I'm learning. It's taking me time, but. I just wanted to, I just wanted to see, uh, if that would work. See, Andy, Andy's such a great guy. If you, if you ever met him. Um, he, he's small, he is, uh, he's kind of hipster, but he won't admit it. Um, he's got a big thrashy voice if he, if he can go there. Um, but he's just generally like a very good natured person. And so it's kind of, it's kind of fun to have in the, in the studio, but people are saying they don't, first of all, some, and I, and I think it's the two people that gave us one star on the podcast personally, who say, we don't like the witty banter at the beginning. And I say, banter is what we do and then and then people that think that we need more people to disagree i say i say andy that we don't need more people to disagree so we'll see we'll see we'll see it was we'll see what happens so so politics today part two and that even said i'm i'm curious about more people out there who agree because i think that's what we're looking for yeah we're trying to build a tribe yeah and and yes of course um, the, the format of a podcast is different than the format of a sermon, the format of a book, both of which I've done. The format of the podcast is more off the cuff. It's more conversational. It's more, um, uh, it's more uh, give and take a little bit, but it's not a debate format. I mean, we could do one of those. Sure. But, um, but for me, I see it as a way to engage with cultural issues in real time and and, and, and it allows a bit more flexibility and maybe the, the sermon form does yeah. or the book form does. And so so as a result, um, it's just a different thing. It's just a, a different way of engaging in cultural conversation, which, uh, you know, I, of course, we've I've podcasted sermons before. But just to have one that's thematic, I think is really interesting. And I think I think it really changes the nature of church oh absolutely yeah because because the, the people the, here's the thing and this is really important the people who respond to us tell us that the times they listen uh, are when they're working out when they're in their cars or when they're at work and and where else where else as a as a church community could you actually speak words 
of gospel of Jesus of mission into those spaces. Yeah. Right. So the ch- whole the whole premise of the church is that you go to a building at a set time and passively watch a program. Well, this is a much different thing. This is actually uh, this is flipping the script a little bit and putting putting um, content thought. Um, reminder into people's real lives in real life situations. And so it's just been, it's been remarkable. And that brings me to a huge, huge announcement, Andy. And we got to make sure we plug the fact that there's a big announcement. Okay. Um, my, my wife and I and some others have been praying about what, what God would have us do. And, and certainly, um, you know, we could continue to have kind of an online sort of presence. And, and we will do that. But I'm, I'm somebody that hungers for the the uh, the week to week rhythm of sacrament and teaching and gathering and community and worship and singing and so one of the very strange ideas we've had because of the the incredible response to the podcast is that we we actually form a, a church community out of the podcast yeah and um and obviously that only works for people kind of in Orange County and if you're listening somewhere else I mean we we consider you part of the family we consider you part of the family absolutely but there's a special part of the family that we're praying about. And, um, and so here's, here's what I would like for you to do. There's some very specific things we're thinking that I don't want to announce over a podcast. I would rather, um, announce it over email and then, and then set up some gatherings and some other things. And so, um, if you would go to our website, if you're interested in any way, shape or form, we're going to need money. We're going to need resources. We're going to need talented people. We're going to need, um, we're, we're going to need tons of prayer. If you are interested in any way, shape, or form about hearing more about this, would you go to this website? It's different than my Subversive Kingdom website. Go to www.voxoc.com. And at the very, very bottom, the bottommost part of the bottom is a place for your email. And that will build an email list. Now, if you have questions, there's a, there's a direct contact form that Andy and I get that sends us an email directly. But if you're just interested in putting your name on a list that we'll begin to use uh, for communication and tribe building, then uh, just put your email in. If you wanna contact us with, with questions specifically, um, use the, the direct form. I'll remind you at the end to do this, but that's a, that's a, it's really kind of something fun that Andy and I have been talking about um, ever since this launched. And, and, and oh, what are the implications of being able to do what we do? Uh, is it possible instead of a church uh, having a podcast that a podcast actually has a church? And the, yeah. uh, those are very interesting questions. So politics today, Andy. All right. Now, part one was the, the beginning of a political sort of theology um, or theology of politics is a better way to say it that puts Jesus as the center and the kingdom of God transcendent over and above the kingdoms of this world, that the kingdom of God is not some better version of a kingdom of this world. It's of an entirely different kind. So when, when people say Republican uh, or Democrat, um, best represents the kingdom of God in the world. That's just, that's a category mistake. That's a category fallacy. The kingdom of God is something far, far different. Now, part two, we want to go into a uh, piece of the Bible. This is going to be a little teachy um, that is often used to say that in 
like American life, we have dual allegiances. We have an allegiance to the government, we're American citizens, and at the same time, we're citizens of another kingdom. We're uh, citizens of the kingdom of God. And very often, a passage that's used to justify that way of looking at our relationship to the state is the very famous saying where Jesus says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and render to God what is God's. And so what I want to do is I want to break that passage down a little bit and then discuss the implications. So so I'm going to just bust out a little teaching, Andy, if that's okay. Go for it. Um, there's this book called The Bible that I'm a big fan of. I just, I happen to, I happen to really like it. And not everyone does, of course. Man, I'm a fan. I keep trying to get I'm tr- I keep trying to get the author to do a book signing, but uh, <laughs> just he says he he blows around where he will. So I don't know. So um, so in the book of Luke, which I I am a big fan of as well, there there is this episode, Luke chapter twenty, verse twenty, where it says uh, the following incident is recorded: keeping a close watch on Jesus. The chief priests and the teachers of the law sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said so that they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. So the spies questioned him, teacher, we know that you speak and teach what is right and that you do not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now this, bro, before we even get to the exam, the the response that Jesus gives, which is brilliant, this is such a politically loaded question. So I want to look at various pieces of context. The first, the first piece of context is that this is Passover season. And and Josephus records like millions of Jews would go, probably hundreds of thousands minimally would show up. Passover was one of the three Jewish festivals that were pilgrimage festivals. Who's Josephus? Oh, Josephus, thank you, was a Jewish historian who sometimes exaggerates his numbers as far as we can tell. But in most most matters is is considered fairly a fairly reliable picture of Jewish life. And so Passover season was uh, the original Passover was when God liberated Egypt, or excuse me, God liberated Israel from Egypt and from the tyranny of Pharaoh. And, um, and he did that and then commanded that the nation celebrate this annual Passover feast to remember that they were once enslaved and that God through great works and mighty acts had delivered them. Well, here the people were feeling enslaved by the Roman Empire. And so Passover was a politically charged season because the people had been looking for a new Moses, leading Israel to a new exodus against a new Pharaoh. Pharaoh's name was Caesar Tiberius at this point, or Tiberius Caesar is better said. And so so Passover was always a time where there were tons of Jewish pilgrims. Jerusalem was full and there was a messianic kind of revolutionary fervor where the people were expecting that God would move and deliver Israel from political oppression the same way God had done that against the Egyptians. In fact, it was so politically charged, Pontius Pilate, who was the governor during this time, would come down from Caesarea, where that was his headquarters. He would come down and stay in the Antonia 
building a fortress in Jerusalem, bringing with him Roman soldiers in case things got out of hand. There were plenty of historical episodes where during Passover, things would get a little crazy, particularly if you were making some sort of claim to messiahship uh, or to leadership. So here comes Jesus in Luke chapter 19, during Passover season, being welcomed by multitudes of people into the eastern gate of the city, which is the the gate where Messiah was supposed to return from uh, in, uh, through is the best way to say it. And they were they were shouting to him slogans, Hoshana, Hoshana, Hosanna is how we say it. And Hosanna was actually um, uh, a, a way, a, a slogan that was used oh a hundred or so years before. Um, and palm branches were actually symbols of revolution of something called the Maccabean revolt. And so there are these political undertones to the, the, the welcome that Jesus was receiving by the multitudes as he's entering in to Jerusalem. And then he begins to weep over the city. In Luke's account, he weeps over the city and he prophesies its destruction that uh, he says, literally, the days will come when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize God's coming to you. And he's referring about the, his appearance to them. Um, and, and 40 years later, this is exactly what happens. This is exactly what happens in 70 AD when, um, when Rome finally destroyed Jerusalem. And you can go to Israel today and you can see piles of original rocks where no stone was left on another. I mean, it's absolutely crazy. Now, Jesus comes into the city uh, during a political time. Political things are being shouted at him. And then the first thing he does after he prophesies about the destruction of the temple is he goes and he cleans it out. He turns over the tables of the money changers. He drives out the animals. He actually enacts in a much smaller way the forecoming destruction of the entire city by shutting down the temple for a moment. And, and in fact... Uh, in verse 47 of Luke 19, it said, uh, oh, and Jesus, oh my goodness, what he says when he does this, he says he entered the temple, he began to drive out those who were selling, and then he says, it is written, my house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it to a den of robbers. Now, holy cow, Andy, den of robbers, okay, is a phrase that's used in Jeremiah 7, as you well know, to, to uh, describe the uh, impending destruction of Jerusalem in Jeremiah's time because of the wickedness of Israel. So in that section in Jeremiah 7, people are uh, doing wicked things, unjust things, and they're, they're, they're thinking because the temple's there that God won't destroy them. And so they, they keep saying, you know, they, they keep hiding in the temple is the idea. They're hiding in the temple. And that God's wrath will um, be escaped because the temple's there. And God, in this Jeremiah 7 passage, calls his house a den of robbers and then promises to destroy it the way he destroyed 
um, Shiloh, which was uh, where God's presence had initially been dwelling. And so, so it, I mean, the minute he quotes this, he's wept and prophesied over the destruction of the temple and of all Jerusalem. He cleans out the temple, and then he uses the, a part of a verse uh, that was used back in Jeremiah's day to prophesy the destruction of the temple back then. So Jesus... Jesus was not making many friends at this point. And, and then it said, verse 47 of chapter 19, Every day Jesus was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people um, were trying to kill him. Okay, Because what he was doing threatened not only um, Rome in, in the sense of if he's the Messiah, he'll deliver the people politically, but it, it threatened the, the religious status quo, uh, of which the chief priests were the chief benefactors. And so uh, they begin to question, the chief priests uh, and teachers of the law begin to question Jesus in, in the beginning of chapter 20. And, and Jesus responds to their questioning. And then Jesus tells a parable that is called the parable of the tenants. And the idea is that Israel was a vineyard. And that God, uh, God was the master who, who had went away for a long time and was now going back to collect the first fruits of the vineyard. But the tenants kept rejecting the emissaries of the king, of the landlord. And so the landlord thought, well, they, they won't reject my son. And so they kill the son. And then the king replies, well, I'm just going to take the vineyard away from you tenants. And, and you will actually be crushed by the stone that you've rejected. Jesus is now going to become the capstone of an entirely new uh, vineyard that will be cultivated out of the old one. And it was so offensive. It, it says, verse 19 of chapter 20, the teachers of the law and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they... Uh, because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid of the people. So you see the context of this, and it's in that context. So it's politically charged. It's religiously charged. Jesus is doing and saying things that give the chief priests and the religious establishment no alternative but to arrest him and to have him executed. No choice. He is pushing this thing like crazy. So it's in that context that we read, keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. Now, the chief priests during this time were utterly corrupt, utterly corrupt. They, initially, uh, Aaron, Moses' brother, was the high priest. And, and then as the New Testament or the Old Testament story unfolds, the high priest at the time of David uh, Zadok, I believe is how you say his name, was was now the now the the high priest. Now the priestly line were all the descendants of Levi and Aaron, um, but the high priest would come from this specific line of Zadok. Um, that practice it was by lot, uh, where they would choose the high priest, and it was for life, and it was um, from this priestly line of Zadok. That practice was abolished when Herod the Great came into power uh, in 37 BC. And, um, and, and what Herod did is he turned it into an appointment made by Herod for however long Herod wanted. Uh, and it became a political office. 
It was not by lot, it wasn't for life, and it wasn't from this priestly family. In fact, out of the 22 high priests we read about during uh, this time and and, and a a few years after Jesus' death, there were 22 different high priests. Uh, And and there was one particular family, the family of Annas, that, that dominated this now political office. So they controlled the money changers. They controlled the temple offices, the officers. They were obscenely wealthy. And they had the most invested in the status quo. They were no longer a religious office. It was a political office now that Rome used, um, uh, particularly in collaboration with the puppet King Herod, to oppress the Jewish people. All right. So when it says the chief priests had questions about Jesus, these were the, some of the most corrupt people that you could have imagined. Now, Keeping a close watch on him, they sent spies who pretended to be sincere. They hoped to catch Jesus in something he said, so they might hand him over to the power and authority of the governor. Now, like we said, during Passover, the governor's right there. Uh, So the spies questioned Jesus, teacher, rabbi, we know that that, that you speak and teach what is right and that you not show partiality, but teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Now, this buttering up is a very public way of making sure that Jesus has to answer the question. So then they ask this question, is it right for us to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, Andy, I know this is fascinating. We've got to talk about the tax. Okay. Caesar levied, uh, some scholars say, 12 or 13 different taxes. The one talked about here was called the poll tax or the head tax. It was the tax paid by every citizen, simply in virtue of living in Rome's empire. Okay, so this tax was was the tax uh, that was absolutely hated. uh, And the question they're asking Jesus is an attempt to try to get him to commit treason. Now, here's the reason. Taxes represented the biggest issue between pious Israel and Rome. The Romans, through their taxes, plundered Israel. So they didn't steal all Israel's wealth, although uh, during various conquests they would export things. But uh, this was how they plundered the local economy. So so there, there were uh, and, and it was this source. This tax was a source of deep, deep resentment and simmering rebellion. And so, and it wasn't just the tax itself, but it was how you had to pay the tax. You had to pay the tax with one very specific coin. All right, now let me tell you a little bit about this coin. It was a coin minted by Tiberius Caesar, who had his image, his likeness on it. And the coin represented symbolically the political oppression of the people, of course, because you had to pay this, acknowledging Rome's dominion over you. But religiously, it was considered blasphemy. Why? Because it had a graven image on it. It was a graven image. This image of Caesar was blasphemous to the Jewish faith and the Jewish people. In fact, there were some rabbis of the time who called this this tax the impoverishment of the land it was the sucking out of resources of the land this head tax was hated and despised it was in fact this head tax that that in 6 AD during the um it's the it's the census that provoked uh, Joseph and Mary down uh, into Bethlehem it was when Quirinius was the governor of Syria it was that very famous Luke 2 census that instituted this 
poll tax. And instantly, a man named Judas uh, the Galilean, referenced in Acts chapter 5, I think it is, began a revolt because he recognized it not only represented the enslavement of the Jewish people, but blasphemy to the Jewish way of faith. In, in fact, uh, in, in 6 AD, this thing was, um, this thing was put onto the people, and, and it was something like uh, there were bet- between the time of the Maccabees and the time of the Second Jewish War in like 130 something, uh, there were 62 uprisings and rebellions, and 61 of them had to do with this tax. Okay? In fact, in fact, Judas, this in AD 6, the guy who founded uh, or who started this revolt before um, Jesus reached adulthood, uh, was considered the founder of something called the fourth philosophy, which, which we call them zealots. The, the people that were willing were willing to go to, to, to such lengths they would provoke Rome to war. And they got their way in AD 66, uh, the first Jewish war. My point is that this, it wasn't just the tax that was impoverishing, but it was the image and the inscription on it that was blaspheming. All right, so the coin, um, it was a denarius, and it circulated um, uh, in Judea, where obviously Jerusalem was. You would have to come and bring your local currency, and you'd have to get one of these coins in order to pay this poll tax. And, and typically, it would say something like this. It would say, on one side of it, it would be a portrait of the profile of Tiberius with a laurel wreath, and the following words, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Um, so acclaim, acclaimed as son of God, of course. And on the other side, it would, it would be the words pont, a Pontifex Maximus, or the high priest. And, and so for the Jewish mind, this was doubly offensive. It was represented oppression and the impoverishment of the land, and it represented the political blasphemy of a graven image. So here's the trap they give to Jesus. All right. It's politically, uh, it, it is politically explosive. It's religiously explosive. It's Passover time, which is messianically explosive. I mean, this whole, it's, it's a genius trap. They're trying to give uh, to Jesus. And as Admiral Akbar would say in Return of the Jedi, it's a trap. That's what he would say. All right. You need to, you need to put up a clip, Andy, of that. Okay. All right. It's a trap. But Jesus, see, here, here's how they've trapped him. If Jesus says, yes, you should pay the tax. Well, Jesus is just, a, he's now a collaborator. Right? He's just another in a long line of weak, cowardly collaborators. And, and the messianic rightness of his message would be automatically diminished. Because not only was the tax onerous, but it was blasphemy for me to even handle the coin. All right? So good rabbis in the Galilee never touched these coins because it was blasphemy just to have one uh, on your possession. So if Jesus says, yes, pay the tax, pfft, He's lost his kind of prophetic power. If he says, don't pay the tax, he's just committed treason against Rome. And in fact, in Luke 23, interestingly enough, this was an exact charge made against Jesus. The whole assembly rose 
led Jesus off to Pilate. They began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be a Messiah and king. All right, so even though Jesus gets out of this question, the charge of opposing paying taxes was a death warrant. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Yep. So all that context, Andy's needed. Yeah. You look bored. No, not at all. Um, okay. No way. You well? Are right, you no looking? Way. I'm like a yeah. I'm like a duck sitting on top of the water. That whole <laughs> metaphorical image. Calm and collected. Of ducks, dangerous, of course. Of course. Yeah. Oh, for sure, ducks. So, so Jesus. Oh, he's so stinking smart. So here's what he does. So it's a total trap for him. Jesus says he saw through their duplicity and he said to them, show me a denarius. Now, um, in Mark's account, I think he says, bring me a denarius. And the implication is, of course, he doesn't have one, right? It would be illegitimate for him to have one of these on his person. It would have, it would have been committing idolatry in the eyes of pious Israel. But who ends up having one? Well, it was the spy sent by the chief priests. And remember, this is all happening publicly. This isn't in a back room somewhere. This is, they've leveled. This is at a block party. Yeah, this is at a block party, right? This is at the <laughs> temple yeah. where they're trying to trap Jesus. So Jesus says, show me a denarius. And, and they produce one, which has, he's already flipped it around on them. It's like jujitsu. He's totally used their their judgment. Jujitsu. Sure. <laughs> He's a ninja. He uses he uses their own condemnation against them. And by producing a denarius, he shows them to not be concerned about true obedience to Torah. Boom. Right there. Because what is the second commandment in the Torah? You shall make no images of a man or a bird or an animal or whatever. And, and so by having one of these, he's already trapped them. He's already trapped them back. Jesus strikes back. <laughs> Where are you going with the Star Wars? <laughs> kind of theme here. There's a new hope of a force awakening. Now, so, so he saw them. He said, show me a denarius. And then he asks the most genius Jewish question ever. He says, whose image... And whose inscription is on it? Mm -hmm. And they reply, Caesar's. Now, <laughs> then Jesus says, all right, well, then give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and, and to God what is God's. And it sounds like he said, well, okay, then pay tax. No problem. And then give, you know, whatever is God's to God's. Like God doesn't own that denarius. And that, it sounds like there's this dualistic you're a citizen of the state and you're a citizen of the kingdom. But Jesus, no, 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 no. No, what Jesus is doing here is so brilliant. And, and, it, and it rests on this being a Jewish conversation, right? This isn't a Roman conversation. This is about Jewish law. And so Jesus appeals to two words that would have been electric to the audience. The first one is the inscription. Okay, the word inscription here uh, is 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 I think very deliberate because the inscription of course was high priest or Tiberius Caesar, son of uh, the divine Augustus. But inscription was also a powerful word uh, that, that Orthodox Jews used, used <laughs> the Orthodox Jews used in uh, the Shema, 
where they were to inscribe the words of Torah on their hearts and to carry them on their foreheads, to write them. And so, so inscription, any inscription, that, that word carried a Jewish freight. In other words, whose inscription is on that? Well, the inscription that mattered most was that Torah was inscribed in your hearts and that Jesus and other Jewish religious leaders and, and people would have had the inscribed Shema on their foreheads, all right? But the big kicker is the word image, all right? To the Jewish mind, image had a positive connotation and a negative connotation. What was the negative connotation? You shall not make for yourselves any image to be bowed down to, to be used in worship, anything. Graven images is how they're translated in older versions. The positive use of the word image is what, Andy? Genesis. Oh, made in God's image. Correct. Right. Who's made in God's image? Who's the only thing made in God's image? We Who's are. the only image? So here's what Jesus is saying. All right. Oh, it's so genius. He's so stinking smart. He says, take what has the image of Caesar stamped on it back to Caesar. Take what has the image of God on it and give it to God. Hmm. What has the image of God on it? We do. Your whole self, your entire being, what Jesus has done is not to have allowed for two realms of citizenship. No, no, no. He's actually said the claims of Caesar and the claims of God are mutually exclusive. And that, and that is the point of the teaching. You and I are stamped with the image of God. So whatever bears God's image should be given to God, which is everything, everything. Your whole stinking life is to be given to God. And that silver and gold that has Caesar stamped on it, give it to him. Great. But what has God stamped on you uh, on it, give that to God. So do you see what he's done? Oh, he hasn't said, hey, some things are secular and some things are sacred. Some things are irreligious and some things are religious. He hasn't done any of that. What he said instead is, all right, if he wants his, if he wants his coin back, give it to him. But you give your whole life to God. What are you laughing at? I, I love the, the, I mean, there's so much critical offense in the commentary because it's kind of like, yeah, it gives Caesar his coins. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's such yeah. a belittling statement because right. it's just kind of like, yeah. If he, Caesar wants his he, coins, yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. Give him his coins back, you know, but it's right. like, but then, you know, it's like, but your life is, is for God. It's God's. You know, it's like, and so That's get, it. which has more value, more weight, more importance. And it's like. Yeah, that's it. So, so what Jesus has done has to has to taken a trap and sprung it back on his accusers, right? He's shown them to be uh, accommodationists. He's shown them to be blasphemer, blasphemers by them producing a denarius and. He's challenged them to repentance by saying, no, 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 you're, you're actually worried more about the things of Caesar than God's ownership of all of you. Oh, do you see what he's done, Andy? It's so stinking genius. I love him. <laughs> and so, and so, so when, when we look back at this text and say, oh, okay, so 
yes, we'll give honor to the government, and and then Jesus is this in this other sphere, right? That's totally false to what Jesus was saying. Totally and completely false. No, no. Jesus gets the whole thing, and it's not like you're a citizen of America and you're a citizen of the kingdom. Uh, uh, uh. You're a citizen of the kingdom. End of story. Who? by matter of whether it was God's sovereignty or pure chance, happens to also be a citizen of America. One is not like the other, and the other is not like the one. And, and my fear in politics is that what we have decided is that politics is something other than Jesus following. Or it's Jesus following, but it doesn't matter how you follow Jesus when it's political, because all that matters is that you're right and you win. Hmm. And what we're we're trying to build a case of that no, no, there no such bifurcation, big word exists between the sacred and secular, between the political and the religious. No, 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 not for followers of Jesus. You are stamped in the image of God. Therefore, God owns it all. It's not like you share citizenship. Nope. You're a citizen of the kingdom, end of story. And that relativizes your American citizenship. Am I glad I'm American citizen? Yes. I'm thrilled. I'm blessed beyond belief. And, and do I want to exercise my citizenship in a way that brings glory and honor to God? Yep. And fulfills my responsibility as a democracy? Yep. I, I'm all for being informed. I'm all for being active. I'm all for that. But what I see so alarming is that we're utterly consumed with the reign and rule of the Caesars of our day. And we think that the reign and rule of Jesus has little to no application or transcendence relative to the kingdoms of the world that we're arguing so much about. Because it's not the fact that people care about a Republican, being a Republican or being a Democrat. It's that there's an energy behind it that's not godly. There's a, there's a fear, there's an anger, there's a hatred, there's an animosity, there's a slander, there's a condescension, there's something behind it on both sides that is very worrisome. As if God's work on earth could be helped or, or hindered by whatever Caesar decides. And so, yeah, okay, so, so a certain Caesar wants your vote? Okay, all right, give them that vote. But you... Your whole self belongs to God. Make sense? Yeah. Now, do you have a question? Nope. Oh. Well, there's one objection to what I've said. Okay. And that is that both Paul and Peter encourage people to be subject to rulers. And, and, and so, how do, you, how do you reconcile this teaching of Jesus and um, what Peter... I'm going to read from Peter... Uh, uh, where, where Peter says, um, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or to the supreme, as the supreme authority, or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who are wrong and to commend those who are right, for it is God's will. So, so, so the big objection is, well, hey, we're, we're supposed to pray for our rulers and, and here... Right? Paul even hints that in Romans 13, they can actually be used by God for good in the world. And they, they, they've been given the power of the sword. And that here Peter even just says, listen, um, honor. 
he says, um, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor to the governors. And, and here's the deal. And then he says, show proper respect to everyone, love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. Now, now what's up with that? Well, I'm glad you asked, Andy, because, because first, first, uh, first response is, well, Peter begins his letter by saying uh, that that the churches to God's elect who are exiles scattered throughout a bunch of provinces uh, in, uh, I believe it's Asia Minor. So so their citizenship isn't of, of the earthly kingdom is not primary. He said that you're actually exiles and strangers in this world. But the second thing he says, and this, this is the huge point. He says, it's for the sake of the gospel that you submit to earthly authority. Now, in Peter's time, we're beginning to read about the persecutions against Christians. Some think this is when Nero had blamed Christians for a huge fire in Rome and kicked them out and put James uh, potentially to death or Peter to death. And, and um, so, so some think there's this backdrop uh, happening. So it's not like the emperors are treating Christians well when this is being written. No, the idea is something far uh, tougher. It, it's the idea that for the gospel's sake, you would submit. Now, how do I, how do I think that? Well, because first, before Jesus, or excuse me, before Peter says, submit yourselves uh, for the Lord's sake to the earthly authorities, he says, dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles, all right? So you're foreigners and exiles in whatever kingdom of the world you are, to abstain from sinful desires which weigh war, wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they may accuse you of doing wrong, um, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. In other words, don't give pagans any reason to slander, any reason to accuse, any reason to oppose. And then he says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority. Not Caesar's sake, for the Lord's sake. What's that mean? To glorify God and to promote the flourishing of the gospel. Because he says, It is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family. Uh, excuse me. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the emperor. So, what Jesus has said is, no, 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 no. If Caesar wants his coins, give him his coins. <sighs> what are those? You are stamped with the image of God. Give everything to God. So what's Peter say? He says, listen, as part of your giving everything to God, act in a way that promotes the gospel and that, that accentuates your reputation with outsiders. So he says it, do, do good deeds, live such good lives that no one, that their slander and their insults, which were be now beginning to be very pressing, none of those would be validated by the way you live. And part of the way you had to live was you lived as a citizen of whatever empire you found yourself in. So yes, do we want to be good American citizens? You bet. But never for one moment do we elevate our American citizenship to the level of concern that it rises for a lot of us, right? It's, it's our citizenship in the kingdom that matters. And that means then that, that God's kingdom is not affected 
by what Caesars do, by what Supreme Courts decide. And, and yes, we care, and yes, we love, and, and yes, 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 we vote. But it doesn't consume us because we recognize we're foreigners and we're strangers. And, we're, and, and how we're living as citizens should be driven by what the gospel will then look like to outsiders. And it's precisely not that. What drives our politics now is being right, being fearful, being hated, being hated or hateful, being victims or whatever it is, instead of, hey, what promotes the gospel? What promotes the gospel? So that's my thought. Yeah. Yeah. This, all this, um, it takes me back to the thoughts from, from part one that I, I had towards the end. Because every, in the way of hearing this, it's, and for me, maybe in my age and where I'm at, like, identity and how I identify myself helps determine how I act. Right. It helps determine how I love. It helps determine how I make friends, how I grow a profession, how I grow a career. And when you don't have some type of authoritative beacon in your life, what, how do you build an identity? What do you go after? Well, the government is saying, if you abide by our laws, this would make you a good citizen. Right. This is what would make you American because of your followership to this roadmap of life that you have here. Yeah, and, and it's the embracing of the American dream. Exactly. And so it's even even now, even Christianity in and of itself, to say I'm an ambassador of Christ versus being an ambassador of America, those two things in a lot of ways would still oppose each other. Very much, I think, in a way that it did with Jesus saying, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, right. you know, but like give yourself to God. And I can hear the criticism of that point. Yeah. And that's what we were trying to establish last time. There's no political platform that can claim God. Yeah. Um, truly and utterly, that that Jesus would absolutely and devastatingly challenge p- parts of both platforms. There's no party left standing mm-hmm. at the end of the day, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and and that means then, as as you say, in terms of identity, um, if identity is actually rooted in our citizenship in heaven, that, that of course means we're for what happens on earth and we care about what happens on earth. But the energy behind it isn't fear or hatred or whatever it's love and it's grace and it's beauty but most of all it's gospel mm-hmm. it's gospel what further's the gospel yeah that's the point yeah yeah so a couple of thoughts subversivekingdom.com yeah is where we post these and you can leave comments facebook twitter we also post them on so like us follow us uh and then like we said we've got some really exciting stuff to um, consider about forming a community out of this podcast. And so if you are in any way, shape, or form interested, go to www.voxoc.com. And at the very end, you can either leave us a direct sort of contact message or uh, you can sign up for um, uh, an email list that we'll begin to utilize. So that's a really, really big deal. Thank you, as always, for letting us into your life. It is a great privilege. We pray. Um, before we do this every time that we would honor Jesus and, um, and be a blessing to those who listen. And so, um, as always, whether you're in your car or you're at work or you're at home, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and give you peace. Amen and amen. Till next time, brothers and sisters. Bye. Thanks for listening to Vox, the Mike Geary podcast. Be sure to like Mike on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash official Mike Geary. 
Follow Mike on Twitter and Periscope, at Mike Erie, for live interaction and ongoing Q&A. Don't forget to visit SubversiveKingdom.com for further engagement and information about Mike.